back in on Canuck Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. And our next guest joins us every Friday. This Insider is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It's Yannick Hansen. What's happening, Yannick? Not too much. You keep saying insider. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> insider kind of implies that I'm on the inside, but uh, right now, no, it's all from the outside. Uh, all right. Well, well, we'll make sure to switch the copy to analyst rather than, uh, there you than go. insider. Okay. Okay. By the request of Yannick Hansen, uh, it'll be switched to uh, analyst. This analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group. <laughs> it's Yannick Hansen joining us. So uh, these these Canucks just can't stop winning, Yannick. It's like uh, they're they're on a heater of all heaters. Yeah, it to be sure for sure. Um, I mean, even the games where they're not the better team, um, they find way to win. Um, and sometimes it's uh, fortunate goals. Sometimes it's, it's timely goals. Sometimes it's great goaltending. Sometimes it's specialty teams. But you know what? That that's what that's what good time good teams find a way to do. They find a way to win different ways when things aren't going when some guys aren't going other guys step up and and get a win for you um and they have a lot of good things going now and i know obviously last night they they didn't like the way they played um uh, but they found a way to win but as long as you're as long as you're aware of that and you're not uh, getting lulled into hey everything is is fine and dandy and we're playing well and all these things as long as you're aware that you're not playing at your best, but you're getting the results and you try to correct those those errors so you get back to where you are playing your, your best game and then where you are happy with the way you're executing and all these things, um, that then you're on the right path. And when we look at just the, in terms of the head coach and getting the type of buy-in the coach has, I know we talked about the, the, this in the past, but we've had people reach out to us, especially after we, we spoke to Rick Tocca today, and, and they're saying he seems like a guy that is also very invested in the players and connects well with the players, but also has the experience of having been a former po- coach and knows the X's and O's very well. I mean, it's hard to tell from the outside because, like you said, you're not an insider. But th- does it seem like from the outside looking in that he has a lot of qualities that can make for not only a successful coach but a guy who can last a few years? Yeah, again, once you, you start collecting some of these things, uh, one thing is he's a player, so he's been through the whole thing. I know the game is different from when he played. Um, then he's he, he's played a lot of different roles. He, he's been in the toughest role you can in hockey as well. Um, so again, you you have a coach played as well. Um, you can relate to him a little differently because he knows how it is to go through the grind um, and go. We're gonna have to reconnect with uh, Yannick Hansen. It's uh, just cutting out a little bit there, just as he was getting to the best part of the answer right there, Sat. Just when we're about to get to the meat, it's like a cliffhanger. It's like you're watching a show and you forget how far into the show you are, and then it hits the cliffhanger ending. You're like, "Oh no, I gotta get the next episode, and it's not coming out till next week." It's, we can get him back on, hopefully, right? Uh, away. Absolutely, and I, you know, just uh, on the talk at notion. I mean, uh, it does feel like a lot of our listeners and those on Twitter as well are really uh, enjoying what uh, we just heard from from the coach uh, Yannick. We uh, we lost you there for for a minute, uh, but uh, you were. Um, Talking about Rick Tockett and his influence on the team. Yeah, and, and again, the, the communication is the only way coaches can have any success right now. It, it, you've got to be able to 
to talk to players. It, it's not my way or the highway anymore. Mm-hmm. The, the coaches that do that, they Yeah, we lost Yannick again. Ah, tough connection. He's on, is, he's uh, on that tough connection. He's, yeah. on, he's, <laughs> on, he's on that tough connection. Not on a Rogers phone, apparently. Um, I mean, yeah, that never, those problems never happen. <laughs> never once, never before. Um, <laughs> it, there's just a, a lot of reaction on uh, on uh, Rick Tockett and, and his influence. And, and I think that's uh, sort of the biggest thing that we're, we're kind of getting at is just how, um, how much – Tockett is having a positive influence and in how he's got a good handle of how players um, or, you know, where players need to react or when you need to be hard on them, when you shouldn't be too hard on them. And I think that's that's huge in today's game. And just being at the Pro-Am last week and talking to some of the guys about their different coaches through their careers, I mean, you know, it was guys were a lot tougher. Even Vino was just like, if Vino was quiet, that, that means you were probably doing well. So, uh, you know, like... Uh, that that's communication was not a uh, strong point of many coaches in the past. No, and, and I think, and it's true, and especially old school guys, it was kind of like there were some players that were so low maintenance that you didn't, didn't didn't need to coach them. So those guys you just left alone. They showed up, they did their thing. They were self starters. They were good to go. So you would spend time with guys that maybe needed that. But you're right. I think times have really changed here. Uh, so uh, we're going to try and reconnect with Yannick a little bit later on in the show. Um, so we'll get uh, more of his takes on Rick Tockett coming up a little bit later. But you know, just continuing to react to um, Rick Tockett, and, and I know this is something we've talked about a lot, but you know, a lot of our listeners are uh, really um, refreshed at hearing Tockett kind of go uh, – a little bit inside the game, give you a little bit mm-hmm. more detail than maybe you're you're used to hearing from from NHL head coaches. And things are going really well right now, so coaches are always uh, a little bit easier to get stuff out of when things are good. But he's been like that from from day one, where he, he doesn't seem too shy about sharing some of the details of what he's trying to get his team to do. No, and, and I think he's. He has been pretty careful in not giving away too many details, but yes. he's good at uh, he's good at explaining, generally speaking, what they're trying to accomplish or in things that are getting in the way of them accomplishing what they want to do. And I just think having that clarity in many ways, and just in a general sense, at least it gives you an idea of what's going on and what they're trying to accomplish. So oftentimes, sometimes you ask a coach, you know, just kind of push back on something or just kind of like, you know, just, just dismiss a notion or an idea. But I think talking is really good at actually giving you a little bit of detail about what they want to be like we know for instance how they're trying to defend we know the things they're focusing in on and we're starting to you know peel back the curtain on what those staples are uh this from uh tony uh having a great coach is the most underrated position in sports look at the nfl how big of a difference it makes talk has completely changed the outlook and mindset of the team, and I already feel like the Canucks have taken on a Tockett mindset of tough and grind. That's from Tony on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It, it has felt that way, and it, it was interesting last night, Sat, and, and seeing some of the reaction to the game. Um, like, for me, you know, the Canucks had 16 shots, and they scored five goals. So, obviously, you know, they, they scored more goals than they probably – uh, than you would have expected on mm-hmm. 16 shots. Nobody is here to deny that. But, you know, we heard Tockett there say, I think we only gave up one chance. Like, I don't think we played bad 
all that bad last night in in Ottawa, and yet. I feel like some of the rhetoric of around the game changed as we heard more and more quotes from the players and the players were like, this was not a good night for us. We, we were, we were not that good, but we found a way to win. And uh, that's where I think some of the, uh, the takes on last night, last night's game went because, well, if the players are saying they didn't play all that well, then they must've not played all that well. Well, I, I think there are a lot, I mean, hey, I'll, I'll use a phrase that I haven't used in a while, but multiple things can be true at the same time, <laughs> right? Like, they didn't play well enough to their standard. They can play a lot better than they did, and they were still better than the Ottawa Senators. So I think as much as we can talk about some sequences where Ottawa had, and they had some high shot volume, but they generated next to no chances. I mean, Rick even mentioned in the third period, you know, Ottawa didn't really do much either. Um, we watched the game. We didn't see much in the third, and some of the chances they had, th- there weren't a ton. And even by the public data, the high danger chances were 9-3 in favor of the Canucks. And even by the expected goals, the Canucks won that matchup against Ottawa. And the eye test, as much as the Canucks weren't great, I never felt like Ottawa was really threatening. And it felt like if, if Vancouver just doesn't shoot itself on the foot, like they did with a couple of, well, they got a couple of bad bounces and we haven't said that a lot because usually they're yeah. getting all the bounces go their way. A couple bad bounces, a couple bad moments. But I still think as much as, yes, they can be better and that's not good enough for the standard they've set, they were still better than Ottawa last night. And that's, um, I feel like, where where my head was at. Even, you know, how they built their 2 nothing lead. It's like, oh, the Canucks have two goals on three shots. It's like, well, did you see the three shots? <laughs> They're like three high-danger scoring chances right off the bat. I mean, the first three chance, the first three shots were all high-danger scoring chances and two goals and the McKayev breakaway. Yeah. and Like all three, like, high-danger chances. Like super high-danger chances, right? So um, it's kind of hard to, like, knock them for – you know, having this two nothing lead on three on three shots when you know they were grade A chances that they created on all three of their first shots on goal for the game. Now, could they have been generating more offense? Sure, but you know the ones they were generating last night were real quality. And again, taking advantage of the other team's mistakes, and that's sort of a theme that this team has really started to build on. It's like you're going to get into staring matches with teams as the year goes on. And especially when you play good teams, you're going to get into more of those types of games where it's like, who's going to be the one to blink? Who's going to be the one to make the first mistake? And who's going to take advantage of that mistake? And more often than not, during this 10-2-1 stretch to start the season, the Canucks have been the team, especially in the closer games, where they are the one to capitalize on the mistakes. And DJ Smith said pretty much that word for word after the game, the Ottawa head coach he was asked about Vancouver, good team, organized, capitalize on our mistakes. And that's a theme where we continue to hear from opposing head coaches about the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and that process they have, the intensity they play with, the pressure they're able to apply, those are things that are repeatable. Not for 82 games, you can't have that type of intensity for all 82. And we've seen it weighing at times. We saw it weighing against the Flyers, for instance. Um, there was the game against the Flyers, the they just no-showed. It was, yeah, uh, it was... Yeah, it was a bad, yeah, I'd say so. I think that's a fair way of putting it. But nonetheless, you didn't have your best game. You didn't have the intensity you required. The coach was not happy with that effort at all. Called them essentially soft. I don't want to say soft, but we all know what that means when we say I don't want to say soft, right? And outside of that, though, they've pretty much been on it every single game in terms of effort outside of a couple, which we can get to here in a second about how are they getting their wins anyways here. But when you're playing that way and that structure and that discipline that you have and, and the support each player provides the other guy, 
there's always help coming when, when a breakdown happens. And not so much a breakdown, but if a guy gets beat, there's another layer of support that's there. I mean, there's so many sequences, even against Ottawa, on their rush defense. The play that was just so high-end from Hironik and Quinn Hughes, it was the, the Canucks were in the offensive zone. There's a DDD pass between Hironik and Quinn Hughes. Hironik throws it over, and, and it's a good pass, but Hughes just misses it, goes off the boards, goes out of their own zone. Chartier jumps on it, essentially has a break. And Hronik takes a great angle, recovers, gets the body, knocks the puck loose. And this is by the left circle in the Canuck zone. And then Chartier gets it and tries to circle back up to the blue line to keep control of the puck. And then Quinn Hughes comes across, knocks the puck over, gets it out of the zone. So the recovery defense and that pressure and that support they have is just all over the ice. Then you look at the neutral zone, for instance. Man, they're knocking, they're contesting almost everything that goes through the neutral zone. So if you do those things, even if you don't have super talent, you're going to be very hard to play against. Then you add the fact that Canucks actually have some talented players. Yeah, and and that's um, yeah, they're they're winning battles all over the ice, uh, support each other as you just pointed out, and that's something that we haven't seen in the past. It's something that they've definitely been working on. When I look at it, it's like even the games like where they've won, like how many games have they been clearly outplayed in? You know, the Philadelphia game, the Edmonton yeah. game, probably the, not even this most recent Edmonton game. I, oh, the, they were better in in the third Edmonton game. The, Edmonton, the, for yeah. the whole of that game, they were the better team. Um, the, the second game against Edmonton, um, mm-hmm. after the 8-1 win, the 4-3 win they had over the Edmonton Oilers, and... I guess that that one game they played Nashville where they still ended up winning 6-2 and Pedersen had the hat trick and the coach still called him out after it. Yeah. it you know, it was like that's that's kind of the amount of games that we're we're really talking about. You can quibble about the Tampa game too, I guess, but that was as you pointed out right after that game, you know, it was it was fairly even even though Tampa sort of leaned on the Canucks for a, a good stretch, but outside of that, it was it was a pretty even hockey game. Canucks played a, a fairly decent hockey game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So like we're seeing a team that has started to do that thing where it's like, hey, we try to play pretty consistent every every night, no matter what. And if we lean on our structure, even when we have off nights, even when we don't have our legs, we're still going to be in games. And that's kind of what we're starting to see is the sample size grows. Yeah, and and those two games you mentioned, I think the only only two victories you can look at and say, hey, they got away with one a little bit. You mentioned the second Edmonton game and that Nashville game, the second Nashville game where the coach wasn't happy with their performance. So those are the two wins you can look at and say, hey, if it wasn't for great goaltending and if it wasn't for you know things kind of going your way a little bit, then you probably don't win those games eight or nine times out of ten or something along those lines. Maybe with the Preds because they, they lack so much offense that you can yeah. play that game and get away with it four or five times out of ten potentially if Demko's on his game, which we saw that he was. But the rest of these games, sure, they've had you know some puck luck because they're scoring a ton of goals. They're probably not going to win ten one every time they play San Jose, you know. And maybe the Blues even it should have been a three nothing game instead of five instead of a five nothing game. But I can't look at any other victories out of the ten other than the two we just mentioned and be like, you know what, they kind of got away with it. They probably shouldn't win that hockey game. So when we look at each game and how they're playing, and how they're defending. And I agree, the coach himself agrees. They have to generate a bit more offense. But I think it's losing the plot if you just apply all the general statistics and say, well, look, the Canucks are getting a lot of luck. And it's like, they are, but show me the games, the majority of games that they've deserved to lose. And can somebody sit here and make an argument that out of the 10 games, they probably should have lost four or five? I don't think you can. 
Yeah, it's it, it would be really difficult to to make that argument that the Canucks have been by far the second best team in in many of the games that they have played. And you know, I know people have have pointed to a lot of the the data, and we we talked to uh, Rick about that. But even the public data is starting to come back towards the median, like the Canucks. Even there, are middle of the pack in you know total high danger chances against in the National Hockey League, where for a long time, because it was heavily skewed to a couple of games early in the season, you know, they were among the tops in the league. And you know, it, it's the public data can be finicky, but this is a reality that we're seeing with the Canucks. It, they are a pretty damn good defensive team. They've really started to build that out. And the next step for them is generating a higher volume of scoring chances game to game. I think that's, as the coach mentioned, uh, really where some of his focus is continuing to go. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Uh, it, it feels like we've gone too long without talking about Elias Pettersson's contract situation, Sat. Oh, have we? Yeah. Are, are we instead of doing it multiple times a week? Are we only doing it once a week? <laughs> I guess we're only going to do it <laughs> once a week. Yeah. Uh, but it was brought up on the Merrick Show today with uh, Matt Marchese and uh, Elliot Friedman, and uh, here's what Elliot had to say about Elias Pettersson's contract situation. Like you know, he basically said, "I'm going to take a timeout to see what happens." He's held up his end of the bargain, and the you know, the team is doing really well. Look. I, I have no doubt the Vancouver Canucks have an idea of, of the, the, exactly how much this is going to be, and I think they're willing to pay it. It's just a matter of a decision where, you know, Pedersen says, okay, I'm ready to talk about it. I think that's kind of what they're waiting for. If, if for argument's sake, Pedersen was to show up, uh, come back on the road trip and say, let's start talking, I'm sure Vancouver would be ready. But um, it's just a matter of when the player is comfortable. So there is uh, Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show, uh, ready to see Elias Pettersson get $11 billion for sure. Um, it's, you know, I think uh, with the way Pettersson has played, you know, he's leading the league in scoring, feel pretty good about how his game is going. Even when he's not playing so well, he's still scoring three goals or getting three points. It's, um, I- I'm wondering when it's going to be time, Sat, to have that conversation about, all right, let's, Let's really hammer this thing out. Well, based on what Elliot said, and I know Rick mentioned last week as well, we talked to Earth too, that the Canucks are willing you know, to, to go up, obviously, and, and give a pretty solid contract. It just kind of comes down to where is Pedersen's head at? And I've had people ask, and I'm sure we'll get to something here on the mailbag coming up a bit later as well, and, and they're kind of asking, you know, when should the Canucks are like, why haven't they signed him yet? Why didn't they not try to sign him more in the offseason? I think it's more about why negotiate against yourself and wait until the moment of, okay, is he ready to really talk? Because now we'll start going. So instead of just throwing like 11 million, 12 million without an answer and him saying, I'm still thinking, it just makes no sense for you to negotiate against yourself. So as soon as it became pretty evident that Pedersen wanted to wait, and let's say the number he's looking for is astronomical, it's like, okay, you want to wait? Let, let Show what you can do. He's showing it already. And the organization is probably making it clear that we're willing. Whenever you're willing to talk, we're willing to do this. So I think it's just a matter of time. And it's still only 13 games, guys, right? The Canucks are off to the best start in franchise history, but it's only 13 games. There's still 69 games to go the rest of this season. So there's a lot that can still happen. I'd say you're probably waiting another month or so. And then maybe that at the earliest. I, w- I would kind of look at maybe December, January as, as kind of being the time. I don't, 
I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we've been talking about this going all the way back to the end of last season and even into, you know, June, July of this past year where Pedersen's looking for a big one, you know, and it's uh, not so much that he doesn't, it's not all about just Vancouver. Oh, I'm not sure if I want to be there and I don't know if I can win there, but I've always believed Pedersen sees himself as one of the best players in the league and he feels he should be paid like it. Last year he scored 102 points. This year he's on pace for what, 150 something uh, after these 13 games. Mm -hmm. He's, he's proving that he should be, you know, one of a handful of players that makes more than $11 million a year and is potentially a guy that's going to get similar number to David Pasternak and if he keeps going like this, depending on how long this plays out, maybe he plays himself into an even higher tax bracket, which would be wild. But that's we're getting into the range where it's going to be, you know, one of the top 10 richest contracts in the National Hockey League. And I think that's that's on Pedersen because he's he's the one that's saying, I want to prove it. And he's proven it. Yeah, he is. And I think part of it is also truly is this organization on the right track or not yeah and, and i do think that plays a big part into this because he can get his money whether it's here or elsewhere he can get his money and what you don't want to do as a team is just throw all the money at him to convince him to stay because you're just giving him more money than anybody else would have conceived of giving him that to me is isn't the right way to go about it because you do want jonathan to- huberto Exactly. You want you want him to have a reason to stay. Not to say that he has to, you know, you have to help, you have to convince him, I get it. But you, you can't be a situation where he has a foot out the door and you're making him stay because you're throwing all the money in the world at him. That's not a good solution for yourself nor the player. So you don't want to, you want to avoid that. So you say, okay, let's, let's take our time. Let's see what happens. But I do think they're making it pretty clear based on what Elliot said and what we've heard that they're ready to play ball and they're ready to make him a very handsomely paid, one of the best, highest paid players in the league. So it's a matter of when's the time when he feels like not only are we having success, I feel good about the long-term future here. Let's get something done. And it seems like we're not there yet, but if they keep going the way they're going, Dan, it's probably not going to be much too long. Uh, what did you make of Pedersen's uh, post-game assessment of his own game last night? I think it's, I think it's like like you've been mentioning too, taking on the identity of the team, and he's kind of becoming a mini talkit in a sense. So we see JT do the same thing, and to me, what that shows more than anything is investment, and it shows that he respects the coach, he believes in the coach, he believes in the team, he believes in himself, obviously, and he has high expectations for not only himself but the team. And I don't think you react that way and behave that way if you're not feeling good about where things are going. So I think it's actually a really good sign when a guy like Pedersen is is talking and behaving the way he's behaving. Because on the ice, he doesn't look like a guy who's just trying to get paid. He's look, he looks like a guy who's trying to win every single battle, win every single play, and help his team have success. And to me, that shows some pretty good investment. Yeah, and it, it's it's wild that he's having this much success, right? The 24 points. And I, I felt like there's still another gear Pedersen can get to. There's another level of sharpness that we haven't always seen this year from Elias Pedersen. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, he's been banged up a little bit as well, and yeah. it's pretty ridiculous to say. I think his this might be the most prolific he is scoring-wise, point-wise, 
but not necessarily impact-wise. And I, and I can say the same thing for the team. You know, like they may not have a stretch where they're going 10-2-1 the rest of the season, and who knows how long this goes, because we've been saying maybe they don't go 8-2-1 and, and they just keep piling on wins upon wins. But they're unlikely to have another stretch on an individual basis for their stars who are producing so much and the team where they're as prolific as they are right now in terms of results and, and banking points. But I don't think the team has peaked in terms of their performance overall as a squad and i don't think Pedersen has either it's dan Riccio and satyar shah all right we'll uh, try to reconnect with yana Hansen here next on canuck central hitting the most important topics for vancouver sports fans the people's show with big nazar subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. We'll get to the mailbag after 5.30, but let's try to reconnect with our analysts. He's brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, at Magnuson, Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It's Yannick Hansen. All right, Yannick, I think it's uh, going to get going uh, properly this time, but um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Canucks and, and you know, the, it feels like they're, they're taking on the identity of their coach and we know how Rick Tockett was as a player. Do, do you see that on the ice right now? Uh, I've never seen him play, so so I couldn't answer yeah. to that. But uh, they're definitely playing different than they had in the past. Uh, there, there's no question about that. The accountability, um, the attention to details, the buying in, something that we have discussed and talked about at great length over the last couple of years. Uh, we're seeing that now. And we kept talking, okay, how is this going to happen? Well, you ha- got to have success. you got to start winning. But you can't start winning without doing these things. So it's kind of like it kind of came hand in hand here. Um, so hopefully they can uh, they've seen what it looks like when it's done right now uh, and you can build from that in uh, in terms of what we're seeing from this team now and we've had a lot of talk about how they've been you know generating offense how they're defending in terms of how they're defending as a team and the puck support they have through the neutral zone as well are you seeing a team that's getting better more connected as the season goes on i see a team that's not cheating for offense um so when you don't do that, you don't give up as many opportunities. There was nights last night where our goaltender made sometimes a night uh, two-on-one. Um, and as great goaltending as you're going to get, they're not going to keep stopping those. So so they've stopped the bleeding in the sense that, um, yeah, we are getting outshot some nights, but, but those... Uh, double-digit high-scoring chances from the inner slots and, and backdoor plays. We're not seeing as many of those now. So when Demko sees a couple, um, well, he, he's making these stops and, and makes... now we're not chasing as much as we, we have been. So they've definitely, again, started to buy, bought, bought, bought into that thing that uh, we're, we're not cheating for offense um, and trying to get lucky. Um and so far, it's paying off. Um, again, the neutral zone is because uh, you want through it as quick as possible. But if you cheat there, your whole game goes goes south. 
and, and it goes both offensively and, and defensively. So so you got to take care of it. Um, happens from there. Um, if you're strong in the neutral zone on the defensive side, you're going to get so many opportunities, guys stepping the wrong way, catching them on uh, on the offense, and then you, you transition. So it's, it's a big plus that they found a way to... Um, to take care of that, where in the past it had seemed like team comes flying through the neutral zones against us. And when we did have the puck, that's where these turnovers were happening and they were turning into Altman rushing it against in, instead of in our favor. Yeah, and you're seeing that happen uh, with a lot of the opponents uh, the, the Canucks are playing right now, especially Edmonton. But, um, it, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the defensive zone and, and not giving up as, as much quality there and I think that's sort of the mantra is you know we we're okay giving up uh more shots but we've got to stop giving up as as much quality and it feels like they're doing that at both ends you know on the right side of things where they'll give up shots in favor of a a better look in the offensive end whereas on defense they're trying to force the opposition into taking you know the less quality look and I think they've been good at both ends of the rink in doing that Yannick yeah, one of the things I heard talking, they, they want to play with pace. They want to play, they want to push the pace. You want, you want your four lines, you want going. And again, that can happen anywhere on the ice. It can happen when you don't have the puck. Um, playing with, with pace is not just a, a matter of how you're, you're reacting when you do have the puck. If you want to push the pace, that comes from forechecking, that comes from backchecking, that comes from closing quick in the defensive zone. Uh, and again, if you're comfortable with the way your team are conditioned, uh, your style, and you want to play a fast-paced game, it can throw out, throw off a lot of guys or a lot of teams that aren't exactly accustomed to that, aren't comfortable playing that way. Uh, sometimes skilled players, they, they like half a second more with the puck to make that finesse play um, that they can if they do have that time. So um, a lot of good things that's been pushed through, like, they did play well towards the end of last year, but we always criticize that, that it's easy to play well when you're out. But uh, here, when, when games are mattering and stuff like that, they, they've continued down that path. Are we finally seeing what this core is capable of in, in, a, in a proper functional environment? Uh, well, for sure, those, those guys are stepping up big time. I mean, I don't think anybody has had expecting uh, PD to lead the league, Quinn to uh, be the top defenseman in the league right now, and, and Demko being uh, uh, the, the number one Vesna in the early going. Like, it's one of those things where if you guys look back on uh, uh, Jim's comment, uh, if we need to make the playoff, everything needs to uh, to be perfect for us. It is perfect right now. I don't think you can put a finger on just about anything. And that being said, we've put a finger on a, on, on one or two players here and there that weren't really pulling their weight and stuff like that. But everything you needed for Vancouver to happen, for them to have success, it happened. Um, all their horses, they came ready to play right off the bat. They're producing in spades. Um, they're dominating when they're on the ice and all these things. So, so things are are going really well. Um, there's no question about that. Um, you hope that it's not a, a 10 game kind of thing. And it's something that they can, they can continue doing for, for the foreseeable future as well. 
Um, in the offensive end, I'm curious uh, what, what you're seeing because you know they're obviously scoring at a really high clip. But things that Sat and I have noticed, you know, they, they've got uh, some flyby screens going on. Even, you know, Mikheyev where he backheels that goal. Like, Pedersen's clearly shooting at Mikheyev more so than he is shooting at the net. Uh, like, are, are you seeing some things that they're doing to, to try and create havoc and try and make it as difficult as possible on the opposi- opposition goaltender? When, when you're in the offensive zone, you're going to get these opportunities. And there, there's no question. They get a little bit lucky here and there. And, and, and they're, they're reaping it right now. Um, but, but it's not like you can pick apart um, uh, a majority of their stuff. No, they, they're, earning their, they're earning their offense right now. Uh, like I mentioned, they, they do get a couple of lucky ones and some fortunate ones. Um, but, but again, they're, they're earning a lot of the offense they're, they're getting right now. And they're earning it through hard work, um, playing with that pace uh, and again uh, not, not sitting back um, being being comfortable and you know you have a good team you have a lot of skill um, don't be afraid not when you go into opposing teams uh, buildings and, and play with that um, that way you you can uh, you can play a little bit looser if you will um, and then get uh, then get get your own game on instead of, of, of being dictated as to how you other teams want to play against you. In terms of how some individuals are performing and, and how they're kind of coming together, it seems like a lot of the additions the Canucks have made are all having success, especially over the course of the offseason. What do you take that as? Do you take it? Do you look at that as player evaluation or more as player evaluation and understanding what roles they need to play? Um, the, the players we needed were, were very uh, situational. Um, so again, when you obviously here we're talking Ian Cole and 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 Susie to begin with, those two players. When you say we want to go out and we want to get some some players who can solidify our defense, it's a lot easier to pick those guys and for them to have a little bit of success than to go out and say, oh, we need a number one center who's going to come out and lead this team in in the offense, hopefully lead the, the conference and the league in points. So they're a little easier in that sense that we had all the, the major pieces in place. We needed to surround them with, with some some good fundamental players who knew their role and could execute it and then make the team better therefore. That being said, obviously being 9-2-1, and one, everybody looks great right now. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's good to see that the new guys on the team are having this kind of success because it, gave, it makes the team bonding and building that much easier. So when tough times are coming... Um, you, you have a little bit of a foundation to, to go back on and say, hey, we, we played well, we, everything has been going well, let, let's find this again because there, there's no question they're not going to roll through the next 70 games like, like they did the first 12 here. Um, but now everybody feels like they're part of the team, they're part of the success. Um, we, we've had a feel of it, the taste of it. Um, now we got to go and, uh, and do it as, as much as possible, obviously. On, on the center side, um, uh, it seems like Suter has found a little bit more of a footing now. He's had a couple of goals. Um, you, you're still waiting for, for, for those center. Again, we haven't even seen uh, Bluger yet um, in that sense. Lafferty has come in from, I think, what did he have, one or two days of, of, of skating with the team be- before he was thrown into a game. And he's fit like a hand in a glove as well. So the additions have been all very positive. Where in the past, I feel like the additions... They haven't really 
become as advertised, if you will, where now they, they've just fit in because, like I said, it, it's the it's the situational players they needed and they needed them for a specific role. Lafferty, we, we needed somebody with a little bit of grit, somebody who'd get in front of goalies, be a little bit of a shit disturber and stuff like that. And that role, if you're willing to play it, it's a little bit easier than it is to go out and score a couple of goals or, or produce some points every single night. So um, they, they credit to, to management, to, to GM there, to finding and, and again, uh, identify the players that were going to give this team uh, some success and fill those holes that we had. The, uh, th- like the way they've started, Yannick, they could play the rest of the season at 500 and still make the playoffs. Like from here on out, even though it's only 13 games, right? They can play the next 69 games and, and at, at 500 and make the playoffs essentially. And I, I'm curious, like, is, is it, would it be hard for players to maintain that main, you know, intensity or the intensity we've seen through these, this early part of the season through the course of the year, knowing like, all right, we've pretty much already booked our, our place in the playoffs. Um, it's always hard to play as um, at the beginning of the season. There's so much excitement. Uh, there's so much, I, I don't know if necessarily I call it adrenaline, but, but that excitement factor of having six months off and, bad year last year everybody want to come back and, and and have a good 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 season and all these things so there there's this build up energy that that you can't uh, recreate later in the season when you're you're dog days of hockey um so so again it's good to get this cushion um the intensity that's league wide so so other teams will dip as well um but, but but again when you give yourself a cushion like this you always say you can't make the playoff in in October and November, but you sure as uh, you curse, sure can play yourself out of it. Um, so right now, they, they've given themselves a, a phenomenal opportunity. Right now, um, they're getting help left, right, and center from w- what happened in, in the division elsewhere. So it's it's definitely a, a good feeling right now. Um, you you always when you find yourself in a in a situation where you're you're almost off a little bit too good than, than what you're comfortable with here, you don't want to get too comfortable. Um, you, you look at yourself and you start to criticize the little things that you want to change and correct so that when when push do come to shove and we're starting to play these games where you have to win, um, that, then your game is fine-tuned and you can just rely on systems, execution and all these things and you're not searching for something in your game to take it to another level. I want to go back a little bit, Yannick, to 2008 and 2009. You guys missed the playoffs in 2007, 2008, and then the, the changes happened, right? Uh, uh, Gillis came in as a GM. You guys took a different step. And that year, you guys swept the St. Louis Blues in the in the first round. I remember um, kind of the vibe around the team was very businesslike, very professional. It was more about the next game. Was that the year you guys you know, kind of figured out, okay, what we need to do and, and what we are? And are we starting to see something with that team in terms of taking on that professional business-like attitude? That's that's tough for me to answer. Um, that was my first year, um, and I think I played half the season. That's the year Matt's, uh, Matt signs at Christmas, uh, Sundin, and comes in. Um, so obviously he brought uh, 
he brought some of that to the team as well. And and we felt like uh, this team, like even when I look back now, that that team, if if Chicago aren't as good as they are those years, like we have a team right there that can compete. Like the the line of of uh, him and Demo and and Kess as well. Like we were we were deep there up front. Um, but but it was it started to take shape there and and seeing that uh, it, it's not just enough to be a good regular season team you you got to take care of business when it matters as well uh, and certainly Matt he, he brought some of that with him he was only here for a short time but but he had a he had a big impact on a lot of players. Yannick Hansen, our guest. Um, it, it, one of the things about last night. Um, I, Elias Patterson had three points, and he was talking about how he felt his game was soft. <laughs> you know, the the, the self awareness um, uh, of the team it, it seems to be something like you you alluded to earlier. Like they're they're already self critiquing themselves, even when they have some of these wins where they feel they didn't play all that well. Yeah, it, it's it's also easy when you go out and say, okay, we have sixteen shots on net here, but we scored five goals. Um, so something. Something is not clicking. Um, you, you should never, uh, when you're clicking at that pace, obviously things are going your way in terms of the goalies probably aren't doing their job on the other end. And, and we're not producing and creating as enough either. And when that happens, when you are or feel like you're better than the other team, it is because we're not playing up to what we can. Um, and again, it's I hate criticizing uh, the first game out east because they're so hard, and I know that travel how how it works on guys. Um, so that first game, no different than when they went to Philly. In Philly, they just they they, they lost it instead. Um, uh, but they were they were outplayed and and outshot in, in that game as well. They, they just couldn't score. Um, Demko was phenomenal in Philly, so gave them a chance. Um, but but I, I I tend to not put too much stock on, on those games. Um, not if they got a little bit of a break. I, I look at the schedule again. I can't believe they have another team that are playing tonight and then are waiting for them again. So that they're a lot of things are going in their in their favor in terms of scheduling. Which when I think back at the Vancouver and how scheduling works, uh, I tend to see we're always on the receiving end on on the the back side of that where you're the team that are fatigued. You're the team teams are are, are waiting for. Um, maybe it's just the, the way it's, it's, it's working right now and it'll come later in the season. But uh, again, you've you got to take advantage of that. Um, tough travel into Ottawa, but Ottawa played the night before you play them. Take advantage of them and, and squeak out a win on a, on a tough first game. And no difference here with the Leafs playing tonight. See if you can, uh, again, get another, I, I call them cheap points, but, but again, it's, it, it, back-to-back is very, very hard in the NHL. It certainly is, and it, it's still hard to get results no matter what. And you know, obviously, this team has has fared fairly well so far. The toughest question before we let you go, and it really is a tough question: Who do you take out of the lineup for Teddy Bluger? Because I mean, Hoaglander's played well recently. Bevilliers is starting to come along. Dakota Joshua is starting to show a little something. Those three seem to be the three that are in question. Who do you take out to put Bluger back in? Yeah, he, um, I, I don't know. I might send him down and give him a couple games in the minors here, just the mm. way they're playing. And then if somebody is uh, um, blatant mistakes, we talk about this um, uh, internal competition, um, and that's what you kind of want to see. You wanna, you want that feeling in the twelve that are playing right now. They're like, oh boy, like this guy's coming back. He's gonna come back in the lineup. Better not be me that comes out. 
uh, I'm going to play every single shift in this game like it'll be my last game because I might get taken out now and then I don't know if I get back in. When you have that um, that intensity you spoke to earlier about, oh, how are we going to keep that? Well, that what that's one way we can keep it, especially in the bottom six. And a lot of times the bottom six, they can set the tone for games. They're not the ones that are deciding the game, scoring the goals and all this stuff. But but they can definitely uh, they can definitely pull the team into to every single fight every single night if they're playing like that. Yannick, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. Uh, there is uh, Yannick Hansen, our uh, Friday analyst, not insider. Yeah, analyst. Yeah, he doesn't. He's honest. He's like, you know what? Like, I, I don't know what trade's going to happen. I don't know what signing's going to happen. I can tell you what I see on the ice. Yeah. I can give you my opinion, but I'm not going to sit here and predict any moves. Is essentially what he's saying. Yeah, it's uh, a couple of the interesting things we've we've heard today from from Rick Tockett and and even getting that player's perspective from from Yannick. You know, the season's only going to get harder from here, right? And Canucks have given themselves a, a nice cushion that, you know, uh, not to say that they can coast into the playoffs, but they've given themselves a, a, a nice cushion to the point where, you know, making not making the playoffs is almost difficult with the way that this team has uh, has started out of the gate. The thing about it is, how are they going to adjust as teams start to adjust to them? And that's something Tockett started to allude to today, where you know Ottawa was getting up on their point men and taking away shots and blocking a lot of shots. So the coach feels like teams are already starting to adjust to the Canucks, and how do they adjust to that now as the season goes on? And I think that's going to be a, a real challenge, right? And I think that's a good challenge, because... Teams do show their best against better opponents. I mean, that's not exactly, you know, um, you know, Captain Obvious take there, right? But yeah. it, it, the thing is to be considered a good team. And the more you keep going this way, you're 10-2-1, teams look at you as a tough opponent. They have to respect you, so they look for more flaws. They really dissect your team game, and they find ways to, to keep it respectable in some cases against good teams and other ways to find your flaws and beat you. And... There will be things they're going to find that maybe we don't even see as the season goes on that get exposed. And you're like, okay, how do they react from that? It's an 82-game season. It's a chess match, right? And I, I, you should feel confident with the coaching staff and what they've shown so far that they can at least counter when they see other teams adjust and, and make their own adjustments. The thing comes down to the players and their investment and their ability to do those things. And there's so many things we still have to learn about this squad, right? And I'm not taking wind out of the sails. We're all ex as excited as anybody. They're 13, they're 10, 2, and 1 through 13 games, right? They have a good chance here on the weekend to do some more damage. And what they're doing is making it really, I wouldn't say easy to make the playoffs, but far easier to be a postseason team and perhaps even move up the standings and be a top two or three team in the division. That's very much in the cards right now for this team. But we still haven't learned enough about this squad yet. They haven't really faced real adversity yet. Those things happen as the season goes on. Injuries happen too. So there's a lot that we still have to find out, but it gives you confidence seeing this start, how they're handling it, that when those things happen, they can find a way through it at the very least. And I think that's been encouraging, but we're not going to know until we start seeing some of these trials and tribulations. That's that's the thing that we just haven't seen yet, right? Like yeah. In-game, we've seen a little bit of adversity for this, this club, but you'd say the, the biggest point of adversity to this point in the season has been the loss to the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's that's the only stretch where they've lost. Uh, you know, they've only lost three games out of 13. So uh, there, there's not really a lot of those tough points, um, but they responded pretty well out of that and played a decent game in Tampa. And then 
You know, this run, this 8-0-1 run started uh, with that win over the Florida Panthers, which is a couple of weeks ago now. So uh, almost three weeks ago as of tomorrow. So, you know, like if that's your biggest point of adversity, that's tough. Like there will go a stretch where, yeah, they can't score more than two goals in a game or um, they do get a few more bad bounces or goalies have a bad night back to back. You know, that, like those things are bound to happen over the course of an 82 game season. And how does the team tighten up? How do they react to that? That's that's still an unknown answer uh, that we have right now. Yeah, and those things we, we will find out. But like I said, I think we're at a point now where they've shown enough and they've shown such good quality to start off and I'd say investment that you feel confident that they'll find a way through. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have some ruts. It doesn't mean they're not going to have, you know, maybe a three or four or five game losing streak. I know uh, Ian Cole himself said good teams don't lose three games in a row, but that's actually more of a phrase than it is a reality. Uh, good teams do lose <laughs> yes. three games in a row. It happens all the time. It doesn't matter how good you are, especially in today's NHL. They will have a stretch here, Dan, this season where maybe they go three, six, and like one, or three, five, and two, or something, or perhaps even two, five, and, and three, even, or something, right? Like that's going to happen at some point this season. Is that going to be something that they can recover from and go on another run to offset that? That's kind of part of the challenge as, as this season is going to have to go through. And, you know, we'll see ultimately what happens. But with this type of goaltending that they've shown and, and this type of scoring, it, it is within the realm of possibility. Here, I, I, I found a stretch for the Vegas Golden Knights last, last year. These are the defending Stanley Cup champions, right? They had a stretch last year where they were two, five, and two. No, two, five, and three. Yeah. So two six and two six and two actually there you go two six and two, yeah. So they had a stretch of only picking up five out of possible twenty points, but you know what they did after that run? They won five games in a row. That's kind of what, what you have to do. It's going to happen when you have a bad stretch. How do you recover from it? And those are things that we're just going to have to wait and see on. Your bad stretches, if it's uh, like let's say a ten game stretch where you're sort of slumping, like you still got to find a way to get seven eight points, and that that's. Yeah, know, like slightly below 500 is your 10 games of 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 a slump and that's uh, generally, you know, more of a uh, a way to look at it. At least that's how I've always viewed it. Uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. The mailbag, your questions are next here on Canuck Central.